We need a call drop, Jared. Uh, we'll come. What, up did one. you ever throw? Uh, what do you think about crack? <laughs> are you asking me or are you asking Matt? Either. What are your guys' thoughts on crack? Crack is whack. Matt can't no. say I have a lot of experience with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good Bye. for the call, though. <laughs> Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Monday morning. It is July 17th. I'm your co-host, Jared Mintz, and joining me on this lovely Monday morning is my partner in rhyme, Joseph Nardone. Joe, can you tell me why today is a special day? Somehow, magically, this is our 100th episode of the Relatively Speaking Podcast. Woo! Yippee! They said we'd never make 14 shows. Nobody said that. Nobody listened to the first 14 shows. <laughs> Joe, I didn't know that we were going to make a second show. We were kind of, like, looking back at each other after the first episode, like, uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep doing this. Uh, we had, you know, one show a week for, I don't know, probably the first, like, half of a year of doing the podcast. Then we got to do two days a week, and now here we are 100 episodes later. I mean, obviously, we have to start by thanking the FanRag Network for giving us this opportunity Maybe that's not the right place to start. Maybe we should start by thanking the fans. Joe, what, what do you think? Who do we owe a bigger thank you to? Uh, probably, I mean, we have to thank Tommy Stokey. Without him, there'd be, there wouldn't be this. Um, FanRag Sports, important person. And then, yeah, the, the listenership, because if people weren't listening, we wouldn't have 100 episodes under our belt. We also have to thank people like Seal, uh, Kevin yes, Smith, our producer, Seal. the Levitard, the Levitard show for not uh, shutting us down. So shout out to all of those people. Shout out to everybody that's been with us. We're glad you guys turned in today because we have a very special show and a very special guest. Joe, should we get into it? Well, no. First, I want to know real quick what's what's been your hundred up. This is the hundredth one going in. So the ninety nine prior episodes. What's been your favorite moment of our podcast? Oh my gosh, I don't know, it was really fun having Jameel Warney on the podcast because I watched him at Stony Brook for so many years and it was cool to get to talk to him and ask him all these questions. Uh, I don't know, I mean, we really had a bunch of really good guests on. Our guests have kind of all been on brand with us and, and really great people with really good insights. I mean, between the two of us, I think the first time that we like cursed on the show was really <laughs> funny because we were like, ooh, I didn't know we could curse. We're a couple of like early 30 guys. Who, who are giddy about cursing. I, I don't know, Joe. What, what was your favorite moment? Well, the, the Jamil Warning podcast as a whole sticks out because he was a really good sport, and it's probably, for my money, the best podcast we've ever recorded. Um, other than that, I think I, I'm, I'm really... I mean, this isn't a specific thing, but I'm really proud of how we evolved. I don't want to get too inside baseball here. As a show, as we started off really sports-heavy, and that really wasn't great, then we went not too sports-heavy, like way too not sports-heavy. So hopefully you found our balance now. I kind of like where we are as a show. And uh, other than that, I guess my favorite moment ever, ever, would be right now. Because I don't live in the past year. Admits. Shout out to you, <laughs> not living in the past. Without further ado, let's get to Matt Moore. Joining us today is one of the most popular people and quite possibly even the godfather of basketball Twitter, a terrific writer for CBS Sports, and the host of the CBS Sports Eye on Basketball podcast. Welcome to the show, none other than Mr. Hardwood Paroxysm himself, Matt Moore. How's it going, Matt? Going well. How are you guys? We're living we are, the dream. 
living the dream. Joe, Joe said it well. Uh, it's all good. Summer League's been a lot of fun to watch. We miss our NBA, but it's, it feels like it never goes anywhere. NBA off-seasons are just tremendous. I know you've been traveling a bit. Do, do you feel the same way, or are you a little over Summer League? Uh, basically, what happens is every time I get really excited to go, and then I step off the media elevator into Summer League and immediately regret my decision. And I'm like, <laughs> why am I here? Why, why did I do this again? Why would I, why would I come here to this place with so much bad basketball always on, <laughs> everywhere, and just the vacant dead eyes of so many riders <laughs> who have seen so many blown layups and missed rotations, and no one's played together. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone's trying to make money. The GMs are half paying attention. And I ask myself, why? Why would I do this? But you go for like the little, little moments and the conversations and the food in Vegas that's great. There's a Dairy Queen in Thomas and Mack Center, Ooh. which... Is just terrific. So every basically, I got into a habit of whenever I would start to be just stressed out by how bad the basketball was, I would go get ice cream. <laughs> I have gained, I have gained thirty five pounds in four days. But oh, other than that, it's been okay. So I'm glad to be back. But summer league is 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 it's something to be tasted, not devoured. <laughs> Duly noted, I've been trying to get over to Vegas for a number of years now, and uh, I will keep that in mind next year when I'm thinking about spending all that money on a plane ticket. But uh, we're going to talk about Summer League in a little bit. We usually, when we have guests on, ask them five rapid-fire questions to kind of get our listenership more familiar with uh, the guests. We'd imagine a lot of our listeners are very familiar with you, but we're going to get you to open up a little bit more. So, Matt, you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Fire when ready! (laughs) All right, we're going to start you off. What's really hard hitting journalism here? If you could either dunk a basketball for a life or have a full set of hair for life, which one would it be and why? Full set of hair. I lost my hair when I was 21. Like 21, I started losing my hair. My genetics are wretched. Do you have any idea how much it's. It's not just the fact that it's just like, oh, you're like a bald dude, and like that immediately like detracts from your attractiveness. It's the fact that, like, simple stuff. Like, if I don't wear a hat outdoors. I get a sunburn on the top of my head. Do you have any idea how painful that is? It sucks so hard. I would absolutely 100%. Like, dunking? Vic Young can dunk. Don't really want to be him despite the money. I will keep the head in there. <laughs> that, that is awesome, and that's all too relatable. I think I was probably about 22 when I realized it was really going, and I spent a number of years with my friends giving me a hard time, saying, dude, it's getting thin up there, and I thought they were just giving me a hard time. I didn't realize I was that guy who was in denial and kind of still am. I totally feel you, bro. It's nothing you could do either. You're you're helpless. I can't relate. I have a full set of hair. It does. It's, it's Tom, this interview is over. This interview is done. <laughs> Wait, before before we end, then I got a real important question that I'm sure a lot of people have wondered: How the hell did you come up with the name Hardwood Paroxysm? Okay, so it, uh, it's you're you're actually one of the first people to pronounce it correctly. It's actually paroxysm. Yeah, um, we have always we have always pronounced it. However, paroxysm—that's how I had always heard it. Uh, I had read it in a few books because I like to read. Uh, and when we were starting a basketball blog, my friend and I, back in uh, the Stone Ages of 2007, one thing that had, I was thinking of imagery that kind of stuck in my mind as far as what I wanted to write about. And there were two images that kind of came to mind. One was Alonzo Mourning's game-winning three in the first round with the Hornets over the Celtics, in which he collapses back with his arms in the air and his teammates pile on top of him. The other is Dikembe Mutombo when he upset the Sonics in the first round series, holding the ball over his head and crying. That is a paroxysm of joy, 
in that you are is a fit of joy. And um, we originally wanted to call it Upside and Motor because we really liked the how funny the draft is. And right. so we were going to call it Upside and Motor, but that name was taken. Uh, and so we wound up going. I was thinking one night, and I was like, hey, what do you think about hardwood paroxysm? And my friend who was drunk was like, sure. <laughs> and so I took that as a yes and signed on, and we created hardwood paroxysm. Awesome. Matt, what do you think is more likely to be real, aliens or ghosts? Hmm. Uh, so I've wrestled with this one. I wrote about this actually in the context of the Warriors. Um, <laughs> of course you did. No, I'm serious. I wrote I, after the finals. I wrote a column about Fermi's paradox, and Fermi's paradox discusses the fact that mathematically there is proof of life in the universe, and that it is simply too probable for for significant for intelligent life beyond Earth to exist given the vast nature of the universe. However, given our expansive efforts to discover that life and the fact that no life has since contacted us, who we assume to be the only other intelligent life in the universe, there's no evidence to support that theory. And so it leaves and there's people that actually suffer when they start talking about this with like real it causes real depression. Like there was a this American life episode about it and the guy was talking about how bummed out he was about the idea that we're alone in the universe. Like that's really depressing for a lot of people. It's been a lot more depressing since say November of last year. <laughs> it's a really depressing time in the universe. Now, on the other side of it, you have ghosts and like I believe in ghosts. Like I just do. I believe oh. that if if not in the not in the, you know, corporeal form, there are energies that move beyond this life that I do believe in that I believe in the transfer. I believe that energy is nonstop moving and it doesn't cease to exist. And so even when you die, some part of you carries on through some sort of energy that you leave behind. And so this is the same reason why I freak out when my wife tells me, Oh, there was like a ghost in my house when I was growing up and I'd been there like twice. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why did you not tell me this beforehand? And was completely freaked out. Um, I would say it is more likely that, Aliens exist than ghosts, but I believe that both exist in some form. Matt, I have, my, I have my first ever rapid fire question follow up. Um, <laughs> we had Jamil Warney on a couple, I don't know, like a month ago or whatever. We asked him a question vaguely similar to this, and then it, it became also became a follow up question. If you were forced to choose between boinking an alien or sleeping with a ghost, which one would it be? That's entirely dependent on both both of those situations, like. If it's a headless ghost, why would I involve myself in such a thing? <laughs> right? You're telling me maybe it's a butterface ghost, though. If you're telling me it's like an insectoid alien <laughs> or a headless ghost, I'm gonna have to think about that for like a long, long time. There's not an easy answer there. This is entirely contextual. So, like the Mass Effect, I, I know you're a video game guy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Mass Effect games, So like a Mass Effect alien verse, a ghost from. Poltergeist, you're probably going with the Mass Effect aliens then. Again, I'd have to, I, I would have to evaluate it based off of, you know, exactly what we're talking about there. There's also functionality to consider, right? Like, yeah, certain slots have is, to fit together. Is everything going to be appropriately in place in order to, for certain functions to be performed? This is a question that I would be asking. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to pivot from this into sports at some point, but damn it, we're going to try. Before we do, Matt, what's the most overrated food? Overrated food. Um, let's see. What do you I not just, like that everybody else likes? I, I'd, I'd say yogurt. Ooh. I just, 
like it's fine in a smoothie, but on its own, I like just eat milk with fruit. Why are you fine <laughs> with like this kind of a mechanism? Like I don't understand what the point is of that. It's just it seems unnecessary to me. It just seems largely unnecessary. Is what but yogurt is, to me. is yogurt even rated highly that we can call it overrated? It's almost like you know you're calling like uh, I don't know. It's Justin the Ian Clark of food, right? <laughs> I want to take Matt. I want to Justin Holiday is underrated. Justin Holiday is patently underrated. It, it was a bad example, but I want to take here, Matt. I want to hear you say pizza's trash or something like that. Are you are you going to go on skates and just stick with your yogurt answer? Because that's fine. You want something stronger than that? Let me think. What do I really? What do I really not dig? Um, what does everyone like? I don't know. What does everyone <laughs> like now? Because like it seems like everybody, it seems like that people used to like things, and now no one likes anything. <laughs> that, that's a fair answer. That, that's a fine take. I could live with that. It used to be guacamole, but then I converted. Yes. Good. Good like job. Religion. Good job. I'm scared to try guacamole. All right. Last rapid fire question for you, Matt. We're gonna, it's a pretty easy one. What happens after we die? Um. I think after we die. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always in two minds about this, right? It's like much how I feel about like the Bulls, where it's like they could be good, and then I'm like, no, they're probably not good. So like probably nothing. Yeah. Probably nothing, but but much like the Bulls, I hope that maybe they'll, everything will be okay. So That's death a... death is Rajon Rondo to you. Um, death death is Nikola Mirotic, where everyone <laughs> thinks, everyone thinks that he's a shooter and he's not. It's just. A misconception that's widely held. The Relatively Speaking podcast actually did an episode on this. We agree with you. We, nothing happens when we die. This is it, unfortunately. It's a bummer, much like Fermi's Paradox. It's a bummer to think about. Just be mm-hmm. like, oh, there's no other life in the universe, and this is it. This is all we got. Well, think about it. Like, like for us, you coming on the podcast is a big get. In the grand scheme of things, if there's nothing, none of this matters. You, We could say the most outlandish stuff. There's no legacy. There's no history. There's nothing to be yeah, left behind. I, I, I went down a whole thing of it. Like, we could talk about, like, what, what, like, what I, I actually think on a more evolved scale, which is, like, there's a, if you escape the idea that, line, that time is linear, then you can probably get a little bit more behind the idea that something happens after you die because something happens before and after simultaneously when you die. Um, but that gets into a whole complicated series of conversations that I'm not sure we want to get into. I mean, I would. Jared doesn't want to. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't want. To. I want to. I want to sleep tonight. I want to feel good when I wake up tomorrow. And none of this helps me with any of that. Uh, but I didn't realize you were such a philosopher, and it's amazing. And I appreciate your insight. So, are you ready to talk about basketball, Matt? Sure. Now that I'm like, now that there's no other life in the universe, and we all just die into nothingness, then sure, let's talk about the Rockets. <laughs> let's well, do these meaningless words and put them into put them into well, a podcast. Can- even more meaningless, we want to start off talking about Summer League. Obviously, you just you know spoke about being there for however much time you spent there the last couple weeks, last week. Uh, the big thing that stood out, I think, this past week was Lonzo Ball, and sure, a lot of that might have been uh, media-created, but you were there in person. Was the hype surrounding Lonzo like anything else you've seen at Summer League? Did, did TV kind of make more of it than it was? How did you feel being surrounded by the Lonzo Ball circus? Well, I was there at a really weird time. So the idea for me going out of Summer League was, oh, I want to go do a big thing on the Sixers and Fultz. And they're like, great, let's do that. And then the day before I left, Fultz got hurt and was out for Summer League. Okay. My editor says, no problem. We'll just switch the Lonzo. Don't even worry about it. 
Well, the day that I got there, like the very next day after I my flight got in, the first full day I was I had arrived for it, he got hurt and was out. Jeez. So, so all I had to really go on was kind of talking to people who had only seen him pretty much just struggle. So I talked to a bunch of, of scouts of people who were like, "He's fine." That's what I kind of heard. Is like, "He's fine. He'll be pretty good," but not like, "Wow, he's amazing." And then I leave, and he drops like thirty six and eighteen, and I have not had a chance to talk with anybody. So now I don't know if they're like, "Oh no." Now he looks awesome because of this one summer league game. Um, so I don't know. Like it, it's, I will say the hype is, is pretty incredible for a guy that, that has so many questions and kind of holes in his game. It is pretty remarkable that there's such a, a conversation around him. I mean, part of it's just the Lakers, and that's just how they're going to be. But it seems a little premature the way that, that the conversation has kind of evolved about this stuff. Um, you know, I think he's good. He's clearly good, right? But the shot is still going to be a question mark. His ability to finish at the rim is going to be a question mark because his athleticism is a little wonky. The shots got a lot of scouts really perplexed as far as how he's going to go. And then, you know, the defense, I think, is going to be a major question mark. Plus, he's not surrounded by a good team. It's not just like he's set up immediately to succeed. So I think there's a lot of things that we're still going to have to figure out about him. The fascination is mostly a product of it's the Lakers, and Lakers fans will get excited about anything, like, anything at all, Team FA, Mozgov, sour cream, anything. Um, <laughs> but I, I also think to a degree, you know, the, it's clear that the talent is there, and there's a reason that so many people are excited about it. Just from a hype standpoint, though, did, did it feel like, like there was more buzz at Summer League than you've ever seen before? I mean, you've definitely been in locker rooms and been around the league for a while. I'm sure in larger stages, grander stages than Summer League. Did you feel like it was, you know, kind of out of the ordinary, or was it kind of the same and it just felt like it was being portrayed differently on television, I guess. Yeah, I think it was being portrayed differently because of his dad, um, because media knows it's just, like, something to grab attention um, to a degree. And so I, I just don't think that – I don't necessarily think that he's, like, some prospect that has everybody, like, completely wowed. I think that he's, in large part – he's not, like, just a guy. Like, it's clear that he's very good. But he he didn't – he didn't dominate the way that a lot of guys do, and it should be also noted. Like, uh, if you're, I think when you get to the, the when I've done this as long as I have, it gets a little bit different because, like, I remember Jared Bayless dropping 42 points and being like, "Jared Bayless is the next big thing." Right. It turns out Jared Bayless was not, in fact, the next big thing. So, those are the kind of things that you kind of have to consider when you evaluate all this stuff. Is like, yeah, like Lakers fans are really excited, and you know, his dad's a moron, and so he attracts a lot of attention. But on some level. Uh, I think you still kind of have to be a little bit reserved and, and hold back a little bit because we just don't know what his what he's actually going to be in the league. Totally makes sense. Now I'm not going to ask you to use the summer league to uh, to grade these guys, even though all these guys have been having good summer leagues, all the all the name brand rookies. But what what are you, what have you seen that's making you extra giddy for this rookie class? Or are you just kind of leveled where you were when the draft actually happened? Like which guys are you excited to see in the NBA season? Uh, I, I I love Fultz. I had seen his U18 FIBA tape oh, yeah. um, before last season and was like, holy crap, this kid's legit. So I'm really excited about him. I'm less excited if um, if they're going to do the whole, like, no, no, uh, Ben Simmons is our point guard. I, I think that, that Simmons should operate basically as an advanced Draymond Green versus being... Uh, being kind of the, the lead point guard. There's a lot of, of people at Summer League that, that are concerned that 
faults may not be a point guard, which I think is really interesting and kind of weird. Uh, they think that he might be more of a combo guard, and, and I could see it, but in the modern NBA, it, he definitely adapts as a point guard, and I, I like the idea of him being the primary decision-maker um, on that squad. Jonathan Isaac I'm really intrigued by. I think he's going to be a fascinating guy to follow. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. was really exciting at Summer League, even though I don't know what his ceiling kind of is. Like, he's he's really good, but I don't know if that means he's going to be Chris Paul or if that means he's going to be, like, just, like, a really good point guard. So um, there's a lot of these guys that are talented, that are exciting. I think the teams next year are going to be really interesting. Like, I, I was kind of writing about this this week that – there are going to be fewer, I think, tank teams because everybody just has too much talent. Like, the league is just really stocked with talent, which is remarkable considering that the entire problem is that the league, is that the Warriors have too much. So it's kind of weird, but true. Um, there's just way too much talent right now for really anybody to, to handle, um, which is remarkable, but true. For sure. Now, you know, the first thing that you mentioned was Fultz and kind of the conflict between him and Simmons with both of them being ball-dominant both, uh, you know, feasibly their best traits being their ability to set other guys up. I think that's probably more of a strength for Simmons based on his game, whereas Fultz can just flat out score however he wants. We're big Sixers fans on this on this podcast. I mean, we trusted the process. We love Joel Embiid. How come you think that the ball should kind of run through Fultz more than Simmons? Um, because I, I, Simmons' potential with his size, as he grows into his size and he adds muscle mass, like, you have a potential for him to play a Draymond Green type of role. Now, nobody's going to be Draymond because Draymond's a really special and unique player, especially yes. defensively. But in terms of what he's able to provide offensively, it's kind of fascinating. Like, it's a really, like, fascinating situation um, because of what you're able to do with him on the short roll. Like, Ben Simmons on the short roll is really interesting. And so... If you've got Fultz kind of as a primary creator and then Simmons operating as, you know, in the pick and roll as your screener and then you get the ball to Simmons and he can play make on the run or he can attack the rim and finish, well, that, one, it eliminates kind of the problem of Simmons' shooting issues. And two, it provides more of an opportunity for Fultz to create space, which is only going to make him better and, and provide more opportunities. Um, I see more of a complete game from Markel Fultz than I do from Ben Simmons, and I want the guy that has the more complete game I want him with the ball. There are very specific things that Simmons is brilliant at, but I want to put him in the best position to do those things rather than run the team and Rajon Rondo that thing into the ground. What, I'm, a, I'm a huge Dario fan. Uh, I'm one of the idiots that watched him on YouTube two years ago. I live-tweeted his games. What is his ceiling as a player? I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because I wasn't high on him. Um, you know, I, I watched his, his Europe tape and was just kind of like, all right, so he's like a wing. Okay. And then... Last year, like he is, he's just like a really good wing that has a lot of skills and he kind of fits everywhere. I think, you know, I'm trying to think what really is the best compare. I mean, like Gallo's like an easy one, but I don't want to make the race comparison, like white guy, white guy. Um, but I see a lot of the kind of comparison there with like shooting, like when he learns to absorb contact and get to the line with his drives, I think that that's going to be really valuable. And so I think the other thing I would say is like, this is a side tangent. I'm kind of done on player comps. Uh, not only because I just find that a lot of the time they miss out on big, important chunks, but the mentality aspect is so huge. Like If you've got the same body and skill as another guy, if you have a different approach to the game, it doesn't even matter. And if you have the same approach to the game, but you are short and the other time is big, it's not really a comp either. So I think Saric is really good. I think that he, he can fit in as... 
like the question of, of like where does he fit in on a championship team is a little bit questionable because like I just this team is so far away I don't really know how to evaluate that and I don't know what, where he's going to be at his peak. I think that in the end he can be. He's not a guy that I look at and say you're not going to be able to win with him in a key position. He is not of that ilk at all. He's definitely a guy that's going to help you win, and that to me is really valuable. A couple weeks ago, we were kind of talking about the Sixers. You just said they're a little further away. We are talking about the Sixers and the Lakers and kind of talking about which team we think can get back to the playoffs first. For the Lakers, the, the questionable part was, are they going to be able to attract free agents? For the Sixers, the question was, are they going to be able to stay healthy? Who do you think winds up making the playoffs first without hedging? I mean, we know what the two question marks are, what the variables are. If you had to make a prediction, a hot take right now, which of these two teams can you see in the postseason first? Can I say the Nuggets? No? Okay, um, I would say uh, the Sixers, because the East is horrible. Like, we're all picking the Sixers to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, and this is despite, after last year with the Timberwolves, us all going, oh, that's right, no one young wins in the NBA, because it's really hard to learn how to be consistent when you're 21. That's right. Um, But the East is just too bad. Like, they just have more talent. If we assume health, they are just going to be it's going to be way easier to be better in that conference than it is in the West. Like the, the, the Lakers are going to have to face teams that are better than them almost every single night. The Sixers are going to face a lot of teams that are better than them, but a lot of teams that are about the same ish. And, you know, if they've got the health and they have the actual better top talent. So I would say the Sixers are kind of the easy mark here to be back in the playoffs sooner. Um, I don't – it's not necessarily that it's easy if they're healthy. Like, if they're easy, there's still a lot of questions that they're going to have to figure out. Like, it's not always going to be simple. It's not just like, oh, you just put Embiid and Simmons and Fultz and then Sarich and you're done. Like, no, like, there's going to be things that you're going to have to figure out, and there are going to be challenges along the way that don't have anything to do with injury on top of the injury questions. But I do think that, to a degree, um, definitely I think the Sixers are in a better position for to make strides faster the Lakers, to me, are still very, very far away, which is why I'm kind of surprised all this talk of, of Lonzo Balls. I'm like, he's an incomplete player with an incomplete team. That's not a recipe for early success. Sure. I think the exciting thing with the Lakers, though, is you know the whole Paul George fiasco. And if Paul George decides he wants to go, what's to stop another big free agent from joining him? Obviously, these things are a lot easier said than done. And more often than not, we get hype around players going to teams, and it doesn't happen. I think that's kind of the thing that's exciting about the Lakers. I mean, do you see that being a big potential for them to be able to land these free agents over the next couple summer? Or do you think there's more being made of it because they're the Lakers? You know, now they have Lonzo and we always want to tie this up, especially with Magic Johnson. Is, it, is this a hype machine thing or is this, you know, fake news? What, what, what is this to you, Matt? If they have a surprising year and everyone makes a jump, and Julius Randle is what they think that he can be, and Brandon Ingram makes it, it looks like he did for that first game in Summer League and looks awesome and is all of a sudden like the best player on the team, and Lonzo's able to just whip the ball around and Luke Walton's system gets through and they play defense at all in any capacity ever, then, okay, they're at like 35 wins, right? Like That's a good year for them if they get to 35 wins. And now Paul George is like, okay, well, we got like a 35-win team, and if I go there, I can have all the things that I want, and they'll be pretty good. Now, Let's say that the more likely scenario happens and they win 27 to 29 to 30 games. Paul George is looking at going and joining a team that is full of a bunch of dudes that can't legally rent a car, that don't know how to win, with a coach that's never won anything in this league, with an organization that has fallen on hard times. A lot of this is Westbrook, right? Like if Westbrook signs his extension and Paul George has to go, I know it's Oklahoma, but I know I can win here. 
Or I can go to L.A., who's really far away. I have no idea how this is going to look down the road. And uh, they're a bad team right now. I think that there's a good chance that George stays. I don't necessarily think it's a slam dunk. There's a reason everybody's – like, they have leaked very extensively that he wants to go to L.A. However, um, how can I put this gently and with consideration to various forces? When things leak about Paul George wanting to go to the Lakers, do you think that that's Paul George on the phone with someone saying these things? Or do you think it's somebody who represents Paul George saying these things? Right. So if it's somebody who represents Paul George saying these things, does Paul George think this is the most important thing in the world? Or does the person representing Paul George think this is the most important thing in the world? Dan Fagan wanted Dwight Howard to go to Brooklyn. That's what he wanted. He wanted his star, his guy in New York, in Brooklyn, marquee franchise, Barclays Center, wanted in on all of that. That's where he wanted him to go. And Dwight was into it because his agent was like, let's do this. And he was like, sure. Except that that couldn't happen because the Nets didn't have the assets to make that occur. So in the end, Dwight had other options and chose another path. And then he wound up going to Houston, which was not at all Brooklyn. Like he never wound up going to Brooklyn. We're in a similar situation right here where it's very clear that – and I'm not saying that Paul George doesn't want to go to L.A. By all accounts, he's from there. He does. But it seems to me more indicative that his camp is interested in him joining the Lakers. Paul George would like to live in L.A., which is different from playing for the Lakers. Sure. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to happen. There's all sorts of indications that that's going to. But I think we have to consider these things when we look at it and realize also NBA players do not map out their careers more than one year at a time. It is not what they do. They want to get through the year and then evaluate and make choices. Now, I think they'd be better off if they were like, oh, I'm going to finish out my rookie contract on this team, and then I'm going to go there because I want to live here and do these things, and then I can go over here and do another thing, and then I'll ring chase. But they don't think of it that way. They make decisions each individual step of the way, and that's why so many guys, guys I think actually change teams is because they look at it and go like, oh, this is new. Cool. Yeah. Versus like looking at a long-term perspective. Fair point. Fair point. And you know, I like what you said about the one-year-at-a-time thing. You know, with that, with that in mind, the main storylines this offseason seem to be that the Rockets and possibly even the Thunder in the West and the Celtics in the East tried to close the gaps in their conferences. Did you see that happen, or does it clearly look like we're heading for another Cavs-Warriors finals rematch? I mean, we're definitely heading for the Warriors. We're definitely heading for a Warriors championship. There's no, there are no questions about that. There is no plausible scenario that does not involve a meteorite where the Golden State Warriors do not win the 2018 NBA championship. There's none. I, can't, I cannot give you a reasonable probability on any other team winning the NBA title. Um, Houston's fascinating because a year ago they acquired Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, and our initial reaction kind of as a, as a community was, well, that doesn't help them. That doesn't make them better. They had those guys in D'Antoni. Like, their whole problem was defense. They're not going to be any better. This isn't going to work. And then training camp got closer, and you heard, like, well, no, Harden, like, bought into D'Antoni's system, and he's actually embraced it. And we go, well, that's interesting. And then you hear, like, well, no, they're really serious. Jeff Bezelik has actually installed a defensive system, and he actually gets to run the defense, and they're spending time on it. We go, hmm, that's interesting. And then it turned out that the Rockets were not a good de- defensive team, but they weren't a horrible one. They were a decent enough de- offensive, defensive team and were good at certain parts of the season, and they were an unbelievable offense. And so now, all of a sudden, they had this big thing. So now... They add Chris Paul, and we all go, well, that doesn't help anything. That's just going to complicate your system. It doesn't make him any better. 
but what if it does? What if training camp gets closer and it's like, no, Chris Paul has kind of realized what he needs to do in his career and he understands how he can be successful with Mike D'Antoni and they have ways, they have plans to be able to maximize Harden and Paul. Like, that gets really interesting. Um, does that make them better than the Warriors? No. Does it close it? A little bit, yeah. In the East, the Celtics are better than they were. The problem that I keep coming back to is that, like, well, they're way better than they were in, you know, last year. All right, well, that's probably true. You know, they lost Bradley, but they picked up Hayward, and Hayward's a better player. Okay. But you were down 50 in game two of a series you <laughs> lost in the finals. So what are we really talking about here? Are we talking about you went from being, like, I don't know, Aquaman versus the Hulk to being, like, I don't know, Spider-Man versus the Hulk? Because, like, they're still the Hulk. Like, LeBron is still the strongest there is. It's like, what are you going to do? Um, are you really going to be able to beat them now? Because I, it's just LeBron's been so far ahead. But at the same time, it just takes one little slip, and they're going to be in trouble. And the Cavs look to be imploding. Like, there's just going to be – this year is going to be another mess for them. For a, an organization that's been messy, this is going to be an especially bad one. Like, Dan Gilbert's response to LeBron being concerned over whether or not ownership was going to spend again, the same problem he had in Miami, was to shop Iman Shumpert Resign Kyle Corbett to $21 million, which shows he'll spend, but maybe not wisely, and then show up with a political person who LeBron is clearly not a fan of in a public photo that he wasn't even invited to. That is not exactly how you woo things and keep a guy in place. Mm-hmm. And if LeBron decides that he's done with this entire process, the idea of him being traded midseason is not entirely out of question. There were questions in Cleveland during the, during the finals. There were questions already like bubbling around the town about 2018 and what – LeBron might choose to do. This is on the table. They might lose him. And they have shown no capacity to be able to actually put out fires or fix problems. They just wind up winning in the weirdest of circumstances, which is a credit to their personnel and their coaches, but it also makes for a really complicated, weird situation. Speaking of the gap, like Golden State, they're on top. I I think we're all in agreement with you. They're pretty much far and beyond the best team in the NBA and should be moving forward. You also mentioned the whole idea of LeBron possibly leaving Cleveland, even in the trade midseason. So what we usually do when the gap, and NBA Twitter usually does, when we don't have like this great sense of drama at the top, we create conjuncture. So speaking of that, do you, the, banana, the banana boat team, will that ever happen or no? Or is that just something we talk about? I think it could. Like, it's interesting, right? Like, okay, if Chris Paul in, in Houston doesn't work, and that's a flaming disaster for the Rockets, but if it doesn't, Paul could leave. Melo's going to be a free agent. And Wade's going to be a free agent. Like, they're all set to be free agents next year. That seems like it's a pretty notable deal. Um, they can go wherever they want and create that team. I don't know where they go and create it. The bigger issue, I think, is that I'm worried that it's going to wind up spelling disappointment and sadness. Like, they are past the point of that being a team that can contend with that as their core. Like, if Wade and Mello took, not bench roles, but just kind of like secondary roles then maybe they could make it work. But they got to be able to do that. they got to be able to, like, really sacrifice and buy in. And you're talking about Mello, who's never, ever in his life ever shown a capacity to buy in. And then Wade, I think, would do it. But it's still like, okay, if you have those guys, how much are they getting paid? And then how do you fit guys around them? How do you build a team around the banana boat to make them successful in a modern NBA setting? And I'm not sure that you can. So I'm kind of worried that it's going to happen, and it's going to be like the 96-97 Rockets. <laughs> sure. But banana boat or not, though, you know, it seems like you're kind of convinced that we're seeing the end of LeBron in Cleveland. 
What do you think are the most likely destinations for him? I mean, I don't know if it's done. I think, I think he's, I think he's going to weigh his options. I think uh, my here's my big thing. After 2010 and 2014, I think the idea that we know what LeBron's going to do is what's flawed. Yeah. Like we we tend to be like, oh, he can't leave Cleveland. Well, he did. Oh, well, he can't leave Miami. Well, he did. Oh, well, he can't leave Cleveland again. He can do whatever he wants. He's LeBron James. He won a championship. They have to get off his back. If he leaves again, they know, like, everyone knows why he's going to leave. It's going to be because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and the supporting cast weren't good enough. And the Cavs organization has had its issues. Like, they lost their GM and it's been a big fiasco and all of these things. Like, I don't think that the majority of people, like, some Cavs fans will be mad, but he knows he can get away with it and it won't impact his legacy. Um, the Lakers are this easy option. I just don't know. Here's my thing. I don't think LeBron ever wants to go to the Lakers because I don't think LeBron wants to piggyback on someone else's legacy. Sure. He, and since he was 18, he has been about forming his own thing. He made this point in the finals, and I thought it was notable because it was, seemed like a shot at KD, and it wasn't. But what he said was when he was talking about the super team quote, now it was ridiculous for him to say he's never been a part of a super team because he clearly has. But what I thought was notable was the way he explained it. He said you know, Kevin went out and he joined the Warriors who were already great. When we went to Miami, we had to build from the ground up, and he's right. Like, he went to Miami and said, me and D-Wade are going to build something here with these guys. We're going to bring on Chris Bosh. We're going to add in these veterans. We're going to bring in James Jones. We're going to bring in Ray Allen, and we're going to build from the ground up. And that's what they did. Like, they built a culture of their own. Pat Riley deserves a lot of the credit for being the architect, but LeBron helped kind of build up what that team was. And so I have a hard time imagining that he's going to go to L.A. and where – are Lakers fans ever going to think that he's better than Kobe? No. They're never going to think that. Like, no, most of them are not. Like, the honest ones will. But they're never going to say that. And so he's always going to be kind of playing for Kobe's team, for Magic's team, for somebody else's team. There's a lot of places that they can go where they don't have to deal with that kind of baggage. And so I think it's kind of interesting to look at what the possibilities are from that perspective and, and what they might want to do. Um, this is speculative, so this is not, like, insider information. I just Here's what I find notable. Um, the conversation is about is not necessarily about LeBron going to the Lakers, right? The conversation is about LeBron going to L.A. And LeBron going to L.A. is a different deal than LeBron going to the Lakers because there are two teams there. And you say, well, yeah, but what about Blake and DJ? Well, DeAndre Jordan's a free agent next summer. And if you have the Banana Boat Gang or LeBron James just by himself that says, I want to go play in L.A. for this tech mogul billionaire owner who's putting all this money in in a new arena – in L.A., doesn't that situation seem pretty pretty attractive? Mm-hmm. That'd be amazing, though, if, if Chris Paul does a LeBron and gets himself traded for all these assets to the Clippers and then comes back a year later in free agency. <laughs> we, I mean, it would be the ultimate revenge for the 2015 15 collapse, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be, like, the ultimate revenge? Like, Chris Paul goes double agent, deep undercover, to, to, to ruin the Rockets and get the Clippers back on? Now, now that I don't necessarily see is happening, but... I think it's. I th- just think it's interesting to look at the the landscape and assume that oh well they must mean the Lakers. The Lakers are a lot further away in terms of having talent and supporting cast characters to be able to compete for a championship than the Clippers are, and that's just the reality. Sure, sure. Speaking of teams that are kind of on the up and up in the league, Matt, we know you're very close to the Denver Nuggets. I think they're going to make the biggest jump in the Western Conference this year. I mean, obviously the Timberwolves added Jimmy Butler, and last year was the year they were supposed to win 50 games, which I thought was just <laughs> bananas. Uh, but, you know, it looks like those are kind of the two teams that we're thinking are going to be jump candidates. I think it's going to be the Nuggets this year? 
Um, I don't think there's they're going to have the biggest jump. I think that they're going to have a jump. I think the Wolves are going to make the biggest jump. Um, and the, the Thunder are going to make the hardest jump because it's harder to go from the seventh seed or the sixth seed to a top three or four seed, which I think is what OKC is in line for. They're going to make a big jump. Now, granted, they were only a couple of games out, outside of um, – outside of fourth this year, but they're going to make, a, I think, a significant jump in terms of where they stand in things. So the Wolves, I think, are going to make the biggest jump. The Nuggets are fascinating. Uh, Millsap was the perfect free agent for them. It's why they pursued him in trades for so many years. He's the exact kind of guy that they need. He's low-key. He doesn't need a big, like, huge cultural – like, he doesn't need a big, booming nightlife. That's not what he needs. Like, he just needs – he just needs, like, a normal kind of situation, and he's in a good place to have that in Denver. Um, he's a good fit for the locker room. They need a no drama guy. He's low drama. So they add a lot with him and he's a perfect fit next to Jokic and he's going to make Gary Harris better too. Like he's going to make them better, but they did lose Danilo Gallinari. They have a log jam of power forward. They still don't have their best option for point guard right now is Jamal Murray, who right now they're entering, entering the, the season right now, thinking that Jamal Murray is going to compete with Emmanuel Moutier for the starting point guard position and probably win it. That's really concerning if you're trying to win now. Having a rookie, a, a young backcourt like that, I think is really concerning. So there's a lot of stuff that they're going to have to figure out still. I don't think Denver's done. They are still pursuing trades. I know that for a fact. They're still pursuing a lot of moves. They're still trying to make the team better, but they've also struggled to pull off those kind of moves in the past. They had three or four trades lined up on draft night that all fell apart on them. So they've got to make more moves that they want to keep pace in the West. I think they're improved, but... You know how much are they improved? Are they better than the Blazers right now? I think so, depending on what happens with Carmelo Anthony. Um, are they better than the Wolves? No. Are they better than the Thunder? No. And they play in that division with those teams. That's how tough the West is. So the Nuggets are better, but I don't necessarily think that they're in prime. They're prime to make a huge jump. I think that their range is really wide. I think they can win anywhere between thirty-nine and forty-eight games, which could represent a massive jump or a little decline. And it's just going to depend on how things shape out and really, you know, the job Michael Malone does and how the roster winds up looking in order to figure out where they land in that range. Well, that's excellent insight, Matt. Now, when the, we started the podcast, Jared mentioned how you're possibly the, the godfather of NBA Twitter. So we're going to ask you the question because you're, you're probably the, the very best person to ask this. What's your favorite and least favorite parts of NBA Twitter? I mean, first of all, I think that, like, if you want to talk about Godfather, I think a lot of people, more people identify with um, Amin Al-Hassan. Like, he's the one that I think kind of exemplifies a basketball Twitter for most people. I think um, there's a lot of people that, that, you know, it's like a community thing. Like, I don't think that there's really leaders of the thing. It's why I'm confused when I start talking about something and it kind of dominates the conversation because I just kind of think, like, all right. There's enough of this. Like, we should be able to talk about different spheres and not have – but it, like, spreads. Like, I start talking about something, and, like, I have a decent amount of followers. And so, like, it starts being this conversation. And then people are mad that we're talking about something. That's what annoys me the most is that people get mad that we're talking about something. And I'm like, you're choosing to interact in this. Like, if you want to just tweet blithely about something, tweet blithely about something. If you don't want to read about what's happening on Twitter, either find a list and follow that or go do something else. There's so many things in the world to do. Go do that. It should be okay for us to talk about something. And, the, and I think the other thing I would say for the things that annoy me um, would be the idea that there are things that we should objectively like and dislike. Uh, we have to have room in these conversations for preference. We have to have room in these conversations for multiple points of view. Um, there are some things that I can definitely agree with the fact that, like, there are some things we really can't get around. Like, well, I really like college sports. Okay, well. That doesn't change the fact that it's unethical. 
right? Like, it does not change the fact that players are not being paid for work they should be paid for because of un- unfair restrictions. That's something that almost every journalist in the country is going to agree with. And these are people that are objective and understand, even those that make their living off of the NCAA know that this is the case. So that says something. But, like, preferences have to be drawn to account for. I don't like that the Warriors just take three-pointers off the dribble from 40 feet. That's not basketball to me. I don't have any interest in that. There's a lot that the Warriors do that is it's brilliant and genius, and I like watching that part of it. Draymond Green's fascinating to watch. But I don't think that you have to like any one specific brand, nor do I think you have to dislike one thing. You know, we get caught up in disliking Memphis or any of these teams that are big and slow, and I'm like, I don't know. There's something really great about that, not just because I grew up in the 90s. Um, the thing I like best about it, I think, is – there's just a lot of ideas, and there's so many people that care about the stuff that we all care about. A lot of this is I have perspective from having gone from I did not have internet when I got out of college because I could not afford it to I had internet at work because I had an office, and that's all I, we're the only place I could afford it, to being a part of this big conversation and realizing that there were more people out there that did think things like they spent their lunch breaks thinking like, what would Elton Brand look like on the Rockets? Like those kind of questions, right? Like there's people that actually do wonder about, like, I wonder what this team would look like. Or I wonder how this, that there's people that love the NBA as much as, as everyone else does and that collective spirit. And also like those moments where something's amazing is happening and everyone's tweeting gifts or quotes or jokes or whatever. It really is. It makes it fun. Like Twitter is still fun if you engage with it the right way with the right amount of time. Now I got a follow-up question here for you, Matt. Now you do have a lot of followers a lot of people look up to you. Other people, I know some people think you're you're maybe a little a little strong with your takes or you try to take it from an, another point of view too much. But you have a lot of stroke, a lot of power on Twitter. Do you ever think about that, like, before you send a tweet that, like, like I know a lot of people go to your, your mentions and be like, hey, I'm, like, five, five followers away from 500 followers. Could you make it happen? And you re- retweet them and then they come back and thank you. Do you ever, like, let that, like, sink in that you have that much power on Twitter? I mean, I appreciate you saying this, but, like, it's not really meaningful, right? Like, No, it's fake power. <laughs> what, like, yeah, it's, like, fake power. And it's, like, look, it's, it's one thing is I've got a lot of reach, but you got to think about how many accounts are bots and how many accounts are, like, marketing firms that just follow whatever, you know, whoever they find. Like, there's just a lot of accounts that are empty, and that's going to make up the majority of Twitter no matter what. Also, all of the research shows that actual clickover rates from my articles to from Twitter to or not just mine, but for articles, clickover rates from Twitter compared to every other social network is just low. Like people don't click on the articles as much. Now, I like that it creates a conversation about those things, and I think it's helpful. And I'm grateful for the followers because I, I think it's fun. The biggest thing that I think I have found is that what I used to do is I I have a I mean I'm a sarcastic person, and so. If there's somebody that makes a comment that I think is like, well, that's really dumb or one-sided, there's this real impulse, and I still do it sometimes, to quote tweet it and then make fun of it. And I feel bad every time I do that because it's punching down. Like when you have more followers, you're just basically inviting all these people that that person did not want to have a conversation with, and they're in, and you're inviting them into their mentions to make fun of them. And that's just cruel, and it's bullying. I got call, I've been called out for that bullying aspect before, and in the past I used to be like, that's ridiculous and unfair. It's like they came into my mentions, and now I've kind of flipped on it, and I'm like, no. Like, we need to be better to each other. Like, we just need to be better to everyone in the world. And so I've tried to really reduce that, and so if I quote tweet something, and try and be like, well, okay, maybe we should think about it a different way. And if somebody's just rude to me, as opposed to just filling that up, I try and I either block or just do whatever. I still will let a few out. It is is funny front office people really like it which i think is weird like i thought i assumed no one in the nba was actually reading my twitter because god why would you but but like major journalists and front office people are like i love your twitter 
Like, when you make fun of stupid people, it's just, like, the best thing. <laughs> and so now I'm trapped because I feel bad about it, but I want to stay on brands in order to increase, like, leverage and positioning. And so I wind up being like, I don't know what I should do. Um, so anyway, I'm trying to, like, be nicer and be a more pleasant person on Twitter. Like, there's several times when I'm just, like, in a mood and I'm just like, this is stupid, this is stupid, this is stupid. But for the most part, I'm trying to be um, less of a jerk on Twitter, which I think is probably good advice for all times in life. You know, man, I think what we're learning here in this podcast, um, you're a little philosophical. You're, you're looking within yourself a lot lately. I think you should start showing a little bit this more of yourself, this side of yourself on Twitter. Well, that's what's funny is like everyone, I mean, this is, I mean, this is kind of a common thing too, is, is the people that interact with me on a personal level or on emails or anything, they know me as this really supportive and, and kind of, and also like the, you said like the strong takes, that's what's kind of funny about it is like, I'm opinionated, but I'm never attached to anything that I think because I think that we're kind of constantly discovering we're wrong. Um, I just read actually Chuck Klosterman's What If We're Wrong? And it's mm-hmm. kind of this really, it's like his most convoluted book. Like it's it's pretty dense compared to a lot of Klosterman stuff. But it, it does ponder these ideas of like, you realize over a long enough period of time, most everything looks wrong eventually. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And like, I will say this, I don't ever double down. Like if I'm wrong about something, I'm not like, no, you know what? I'm still right. If I do that, I'm like, no, I really do believe that this is going to bear out in the future. Like, this eventually is going to prove to be correct. But for the most part, if I'm proven wrong, I try really hard never to do that. Especially, like, if I do something that's, like, offensive, um, which I, I haven't – knock on wood, I have not done something of, of that ilk. Um, but when I have done anything that's, like – when I've said something that kind of crossed the line in terms of being cruel or whatever, like, I will go back and be like, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't I – sh- I went too far on that. My bad. Because I just think that when – that's one of the most corrosive things about the internet is so many people double down because nobody wants to admit that they were just wrong. And it's just like it doesn't – it's okay. Like it's okay for you to be wrong sometimes. I've been wrong about lots of things both in how I approach things and, and how I thought about things. And we're constantly learning things. Jared Bayless, it turns out, is not the next big thing. Like I thought Andre Drummond was going to be a bust because he had massive issues with like a focus and attention to detail at UConn. Now it's fascinating because those are kind of showing up now. But overall, Andre Drummond's had a great career so far, and he's been a good player. So, like, you're just wrong on some things, and you've got to be ready for that, I think, when you interact, not only in sports, but with anything on the Internet. You hear that, folks? Don't get too famous, because if you are, then you can't make fun of people on Twitter, and you have to start being nicer and more thoughtful. Uh, I can't imagine. Like you said, I mean, I love to be sarcastic, especially on Twitter, where you only have 140 characters, but... It definitely creates a lot of problems, and you know, at the end of the day, we're mainly talking about basketball, so I guess it's not worth ridiculing people after all. Yeah, and it's just like, I, the other thing I've tried to realize is I was going too far in that I would like target people. Someone would say something dumb that was clearly just like a hot take, and then somebody else would say something dumb that was clearly like a hot take, and then the third person would just say something where they just weren't, in, they just weren't aware, like they just weren't educated enough on the subject. Which is not to say that like I know a lot about basketball because God, like if you're around coaches and players, you're always just like I am a moron. Like I know nothing. I absolutely know nothing. Now some coaches you're around and you're like mm, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not so dumb. But there's just like a lot out there that I think everyone doesn't know, and you have to be aware of that, and that's okay. Like I spend I spend a, an absurd amount of time studying the NBA because I love this job and I'm blessed to do it because I've had crappy jobs before, and so I think that you have to take that kind of approach of being grateful for it and having an open mind and trying to absorb as much as possible, which means that I know more about the NBA than somebody that just like watches it on Thursday nights who works in like an office or as a plumber or whatever. And that's cool because they know more of like, I can't fix anything in my home. 
Can't fix anything <laughs> in my home. And like, what's more valuable? Me being able to tell you like why James Harden's passing is so good, or being able to actually fix a pipe that's busted? I would take the pipe. You know, that's a really good For comparison. Sure. These people hate the, the like the auto mechanic that talks down to you like you're an idiot. Like you're supposed to know how to fix the air filter or whatever, right? I think that's a really good comparison you did there. You win the internet today, in my opinion. Hooray! Uh, all right, Matt, we could definitely talk about Twitter and, of course, basketball with you all day, but we want to be sensitive to your time. Let's wrap up our show with some absurd questions. Seal, you bumpy-faced bastard, hit the music. Absurd questions! All right, so Matt, we're not going to expose you the seal joke. If, if you listen to the show, you, you, you would know, but uh, I guess I'm going to explain it to you. We wrote the seal song, one of our segment musics, and uh, every time we play segment music, we get seal to do it, fake seal. So He's we're, sorry we you, we're sorry we brought you into this mess. If he comes for us, we will tell him that he has nothing to do with you or that you have nothing to do with us. I will stop babbling. Let's do absurd questions. I'm going to go first. All right, I think the order should be me. And then you, Matt, so you can kind of see how this goes, and then we'll let Joe wrap things up. So, Matt, this question, I would love for you to answer first. If you could physically be morphed into any mode of transportation, what would it be? <laughs> a submarine, because I can't swim, and yet, like, I really like the water. So the idea of being able to just go underwater at any time. Plus, you're able to carry nuclear warheads, which makes you obscenely powerful, and you're a marvel of engineering. By far, a submarine is clearly the best answer here. Holy crap, I cannot believe the turnaround. that You answered that so quickly with such a descript answer. Oh my god, dude. That's, 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 that's great. Joe, what about you? Um, my answer is not going to be as good as Matt's, nor is it going to be as uh, articulate. I was thinking of a plane, um, not because I could carry, carry nuclear bombs or anything, but I just thought it would be neat to be able to fly. I mean, yeah. That's I mean, it's really simplex- simplistic. There's no, like... Real underlying meaning, other than I think it'd be neat to be off the ground. That's definitely where my mind goes first. Let me do something I can't normally do. With that said, I'd love to be a train, go fast, have a lot of people on me. Some people have parties. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be a train. Cars suck. You get stuck in traffic all the time. If you're a subway, also you're subject to a lot of mistakes and you know rats and crappy things happening to you. Train is kind of like the perfect middle ground without me saying a plane like you, but... Again, Matt wins the internet with his submarine answer. That, that's impressive. Right. Right, Matt. Yeah, Matt, you're up. What's your question today? Uh, I was gonna. I, you had told me to come up with one on the spot, and I was like, I guess I'll do one of those dumb. Would you rather be like ten million, ten million small spiders or one big spider? But then I was like, no, that's not a good question. So here's a better question: If you could punch one individual as hard as you can, who would you punch? Oh my god. Without repercussion, or is there repercussion coming? Without repercussion. There's no repercussion. Like, you get to punch this person, and then it's like it never happened. There are no ramifications. They don't suffer. There's no, like, there's no, like, they don't have surgery. They don't sue you. They feel the hit. It hurts, but then it's gone. Oh. I got to tell you, my gut gut reaction went to, and I I know we don't like to go political on here, but even though we almost started a show doing it, um, it's probably Trump. It, it would be a good one. Without, like, unveiling my background and my personal family history and talking about, like, wh- which random family members I want to punch. If we're going, like, yeah. public figure, it'd probably be Trump. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be honest. It's kind of tough to not have the same answer as Joe. But for me, I had a really crappy day on Thursday. Like, I was just <laughs> having a terrible day. 
And then all of a sudden, Nick's news is breaking that they're about ready to hire a GM, and everything (laughs) stopped. I was happy. I was, you know, vibrant. My my life changed. Everything that happened before that was nothing. So it's going to have to be James Dolan because the Knicks affect my mood more than probably anything else in the world, and I could feasibly get arrested for somebody else. With Dolan, like, worst-case scenario, he calls me a drunk or an asshole or something. I could take that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to have to be uh, Jimmy D, and I'll take the, the straight shot as well if I have to. Who do you have, Matt? Um, well, I'm not allowed to. Like, I don't have political opinions um, <laughs> because I get paid. I get paid to not have them on the internet. I have so so many, so so many um, that I uh, I'm not able to because I work for CBS. Who, by the way, is America's most watched network. Um, you can catch two broke girls every week. Uh, but <laughs> I will say this, and like I can't, so I can't name names. So it's like a lame answer. But there is a person that works in my industry who is not, who has been basically just like given things that he does not deserve. And it makes me absolutely insane what he has and the kind of power he wields and, like, the money that he makes and how disrespectful he is of the craft. And that is the person that I would just wind back and nail. Um, my other uh, thought was, where, like, I was thinking of, like, what about, like, the people that, like, beat me up when I was a kid? And I was like, yeah. no, yeah. Like, now they're, like, adults. Well, no, because I was like, now they're, like, adults. And it's just like, I don't want to be beaten up for the, the, all the <laughs> crappy things I did when I was a kid. Like... Live and let live. Like, kids are terrible. That's what you learn. Except for my kid, who's right next to me, by the way. I should not say that. You're great, Archer. You're awesome. Shout, shout out to uh, Paroxysm Jr. Look, I can't let you get off the hook without giving at least one more clue as to who that first person would be. I can't. I can't. <laughs> no. No, it is not. That, that, is, that is... Let's just move on. All right, yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah. literally, let's not cause any kind of issues here. All right, here's my absurd question. Uh, Jared, you can answer it first so you can give Matt a second to think about it. Um, if forced to choose between boxing Floyd Mayweather once every other month for a year or being a dancer one night a week at a strip club for a year, which one would you rather do? Do I get paid for fighting Floyd Mayweather? No. these are You're doing this for humanity. So here's the thing. Like, Floyd Mayweather, I mean, like, he's professional boxer feasibly the greatest boxer ever he's intimidating enough he'd, he'd beat my ass like he wouldn't go into defensive mode like he usually does but like i'm a little bit bigger than him all right you know what i can't hedge he'd kick my ass there's no way around it i'd strip i'm gonna get paid stripping right no you're not getting you're doing this for the good of humanity oh, you no payment for either oh because i i've been thinking about that second part of what you asked for like a while as like an extra source of income and by no means <laughs> am i somebody that anybody's gonna pay to to see like, that's just not going to happen. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I guess I'd fight Floyd. Um, so this is like, this is like, this question is not really like, okay, so clearly you're not going to be able to beat Floyd. Like, even though because of what he has done throughout his life that make me very unhappy with the man, like, I'm not actually going to be doing any sort of benefit. Even if I train constantly, I'm still just going to get, and what you're really talking about is you're going to get head trauma. Like, you're just going to get head trauma, and eventually you're going to get dumber, and I can't really afford that. Now, versus. <laughs> stripping like i'm gonna take care of my body because i know i'm gonna be on stage so i'm gonna like lose weight and get tone and like make myself look better i'm gonna have to keep myself in like good condition to try and alleviate how terrible that experience would be even though it'd be bad but like the end result of one is head trauma the end result of the other is this is kind of embarrassing yes i will take the stripping (laughs) oh man so this one's tough for me i'm so insecure as a person that stripping the idea of stripping once a week is even if I were to work out constantly, Jared last week saw one of my videos I did, and he's like, did you bulk up? And I thought he called me fat, so I started working out again. I'm super insecure. 
Um, but the same thing with everybody. Like, I don't want to get beat up once a week. Do you know what I mean? That's or once once every other month. That's horrible. Um, however, I rather get, become dumb and get head trauma than be embarrassed and assume everybody's judging my fatness and my my leathery face or whatever. Like, I'm so worried. I I hate being judged. So I probably just let Floyd Mayweather kick the shit out of me six times. But they might be into you. Like, you might be at a place where there are people who came specifically to see someone who looks like you. I think but even the if they did, you have no... I'm so insecure, I would just assume they're judging. Can't do anything about that. No. I'm sorry. I, I, think, I think if you had to, like, switch between them, like, you would just get pummeled by Mayweather twice and be like, I'm never doing that ever again. <laughs> You're I, probably right, yeah. That would, get, that would get you over your fear. Like, you would just be like, nope, it's cool, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Send me on the poll. Put me on the poll. Let's see what I can do. I'll tell you a, a real quick true story. And uh, if Jared knows this one, I believe, um, my bachelor party, I dance on stage at a strip club for the crowd. Uh, I got nothing. At my, bas- at my bachelor party, my high, sc- my high school sweetheart was on stage. Um, <laughs> that tops it. At my bachelor party, at my bachelor party, Nikola Jokic dropped 40 and 20 on the Knicks. So uh, I don't know who loses here. All of us, I guess. But uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh it was awesome you're great we now know how philosophical you are on top of being a great basketball writer reporter uh before we we say goodbye you got anything you want to plug or anything else you you'd like to say uh yeah just thanks for having me on uh i love you guys work i'm a big fan of of the just the whole i mean you guys are just i just think the work that you guys do is, is really great um i think uh if you want to catch something for me this week i've got like an off-season primer and i'm looking at the top 20 nba free agents of 2018 with complete analysis coming on, I think Wednesday. So if you guys want to read something, um, you can read that before I go on vacation for five days. Is it awesome. more? Is it more than a thousand words, Matt? Because I don't know if I could do more than a thousand words. Never. Mind, I got a new person. I might want to punch. Never mind. <laughs> just, that out. Very much looking forward to reading that. And obviously, everything you do is great. You're you're inspirational. The the Ion Ion Basketball Podcast is probably the first basketball podcast that I got into. So it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Everybody, you could follow Matt on Twitter at HP Basketball. If you're not following him already, I don't know what to tell you. But uh, Matt, thanks again for coming on. Guys, you could follow me on Twitter at Jayman's Hoops. Catch my basketball writing at FanRag Sports. Joe, tell the people where they could find you. On Twitter at Joseph Nardon, N-E-R-D-O-N-E, as well as FanRagSports.com. All around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hotcakes, bright and early for the daily link dumps, no one's clicking, no one's clicking, their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers. Not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it too hot to take When people blog in circles It's a very, very Mad world